Okay, it's so good. It's good to be um, with you. This message has just been kind of germinating inside of me, and um, I love the word transformation. I mean, it's, it's a dramatic word, isn't it? When you think of transformation, we're not talking about little changes. To me, it's like this huge, big, complete change. And I'm always interested in what the next thing is that God wants for me. I don't think, uh, I, I feel like I'm probably preaching to the choir by saying, I'm sure that if you're here this morning, if you made the effort to be here, you could have been doing any one of 10 plus things with your time, but you chose to be here. I, I just believe that you are those women who are interested in what is my next step with God. You know, how can I grow? How can I stir up more of what God you've put inside of me? Maybe I don't even know of what is inside of me, but I can assure you that every person here, you have purpose, God has plans, um, He's not done with us yet. Isn't that good news? <laughs> if he left me in the state that I'm in, it would be sad. And I know that he wants us to continue. This is a, this is, this is a marathon of life, isn't it? it I'm, I'm the kind of person, I'm wired a little bit with the tendency to be a little bit impatient. Just a little bit impatient. Okay, a lot impatient. When it comes to believing for things, I want to see it now. I probably have this microwave mentality, you know. God, I prayed. Okay, where is it? You know, and so I've learned that it's not a sprint. It is a race. We each have our race. But he's, and there are hurdles in the way. And sometimes we take detours. I've taken many of those. And in it all, I know that God still keeps us, brings us back sometimes to the path that he has for us. And we can learn and we can grow. Um, even when we take and do some of the wrong things, like I said, I have in my life as well. But I'm, I'm interested really believe one of the things that God has called me to do, because when I was asking God, what, what do you want me to speak to these women in this three-week workshop, it's, he usually says, well, what gets you excited? <laughs> and I find that I always just get really stirred up when I talk about when we read the precious promises that Jesus paid so great a price for us to enjoy. If I'm not seeing that happening in my life, there's a disconnect somewhere and it's not because of Jesus. He's already provided it. So we are always positioned to receive and to get stirred up and his work is to transform our lives. So let's just pray. Father, uh, stir us up, make us thirsty really thirsty this morning. Make this lesson so salty that we just want to drink from your word, the, the, the water that comes from your Holy Spirit, that the water is the only water that satisfies. But Lord, just stir up a hunger in our hearts for more of you. Stir us up, Lord, so that maybe if we've been complacent, maybe we've been feeling kind of stuck wherever we are, Lord, thank you that this morning we can get up and we can take a next step. And I thank you, Lord, that you're going to stir us up. You're going to 
be the revealer of truth to us. And when we reveal and receive that revealed truth, we experience a new level of freedom because your truth truly sets us free. And so that's our expectation for this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be talking about living the transformed life. And so we've been talking about, we might be asking, how do I grow spiritually? I want to see, uh, I want to have more confidence in the word of God. I'm always fighting doubt. I'm, I'm tend to be fearful. I get upset about things. I can get stressed out. Well, that's being very natural and very human. And may you never feel condemned from this pulpit. All right. I am not here to condemn any one of us. None of us have arrived. None of us have it all figured out. And so, but I do believe that God is, is positioning us for victory. We can stay in a place of being a victim, or we can operate from a place of being victorious. And that's where I'm going this morning. And I think this will also help us to discern truth from untruth and the lies and deception that is so prevalent in our world. Most of the time, the disconnect, when we're not experiencing and seeing the fruit of the word of God in our lives, it's usually because we're believing something wrong or believing a lie or just being deceived. But thank God that the Holy Spirit is a revealer of truth. And that's when we get set free, right? When we can replace the lie that we've been believing with the truth of God's word. And so I, I, I pray in this study that, you know, God will answer some of those questions. Maybe some of those things that you're just like I said before, sick and tired of being sick and tired, whatever that looks like for you, but to just really stir us up. But can I just start by saying right believing results in right living. See, I don't believe we have a sin problem. I believe we have an identity crisis, and we're going to be talking a little bit more about that. When we know who we are in Christ and how he sees us, it breaks the power of sin in our lives. And so there is a step toward that victory in our journey, in our relationship with God. But I think there's two enemies to our relationship with God. And I want to say one is complacency. Sometimes we get to a place of just being really comfortable. And um, we think, oh, I don't feel like being stretched. I don't feel like uh, pursuing what God wants of me. Sometimes God has asked something of us. And you say, "Um, no, I don't think so. That makes me uncomfortable. But can I just say... (laughs) As I look back in the history of my life, every time God has asked me to do something, required something of me, I probably started out saying, God, ask somebody else. I'm sure there's somebody else more qualified than me. And guess what? That may be true. (laughs) It may very well be true. But he always comes back and says, but I asked you. And every Thing I believe when God has asked something of me, it is a step that involves a stretch. And so God is, he has a way of stretching us that causes us to grow to the next step. So you're going to have to be willing to not be complacent, not just be uh, happy with mediocre status quo and average. Now, those three words, we can't settle for just good enough, just getting by. That is not God's way. 
He's the God of more than enough. And he's the God that wants to multiply and always get good things to us. So let's, let's be prepared to not be satisfied with where we are because God's got more. There's unlimited, untold things that he has, uh, good things that he still has for us. So complacency, I think, is one enemy in our spiritual journey, maybe a hurdle we have to get past. Uh, and then another one that I really believe is just familiarity. I'm not going to share any brand new scriptures with you. I'm not making up the word of God. I'm going to share scriptures you've heard all along. And if you've studied the word, you know, oh yeah, I've heard that one. I'm familiar with that one. But let it be unfamiliar and ask the Holy Spirit, to make it revelation to you in a new way. I'm always amazed at how different places, different stages in my life, the same scripture means something different because now I can apply it in a new way. It becomes power to me because I, I need it in a, in a new way. I need it in a new way. I'm just remembering a time that God really stretched me and um, someone called me and asked me, if I would participate and in, in provide music, the special music, for a three-year-old little boy who had just passed away. And everything in me wanted to say, I can't do that. I cry at anybody's funeral, and it's not because I know them necessarily, but I just told God, I'm not good at funerals. You better go find someone else. And what he said to me, he says, I am requiring this of you. And it was difficult I, I met with the mother who was a single mom. She was just a mess. And I was able to just help her sit down. I said, what is in your heart? How can I serve you? And that what happened was, and I learned this, it stretched me because I had to get past myself. And, but when I sat down with her and said, how can I serve you? Suddenly, it wasn't about me anymore. It's like, how can I serve you? You And so she began to tell me how this three-year-old little boy had been sick from birth and um, had not been expected to live long, but they had three beautiful years with this precious little child, never met him, didn't know the mother, and, uh, and I wasn't even sure they were saved, to be honest with you, but she wanted a beautiful wed wedding, ooh, funeral with a lot of music because this little boy loved music. And I began to suggest some things. And one of the things that I've done, um, I play flute and sing, but I said, well, I do this particular song, and I just wonder if this would be appropriate. And I said, it's called You Lift Me Up, You Raise Me Up, excuse me. And she looked at me with eyes this big, and she said, how did you know that was his favorite song? I didn't know that. I did not know that, but... She wanted that as part of the funeral, and then we chose some other music as well. And it was one of the hardest things that I have ever done, to, to be able to do it in a way to serve and not back away from something. And it was mainly because God said, I'm requiring this of you. And I said, okay. It's like, yes, sir. And if you're requiring it of me, I also know that you empower me to do it. And so it... It, it, as I was playing that song on my flute, I looked at that mother and she had the biggest smile on her face and I just said to the Lord, 
any uncomfortable feelings that I ever had. It doesn't matter anymore because, God, you did something for this woman in a day, a very sad day that brought joy to her heart. And guess what? It was worth anything that I had to get past. So you know what? God has good things for us if we're willing to step into them and trust him. It's God's growth plan for us oftentimes. If you can picture rubber bands, he just wants to stretch you and stretch you, but he won't break you. I promise, and he promises. So we're going to do three weeks, um, and what I believe God has outlined for us, week one, we're talking about God's growth plan. That's today. Uh, next week, I want to talk about your true identity found in Christ. I already kind of touched on that. And week number three is learning how to exercise authority, which, yeah, we did that this morning when we prayed Psalm 91. But again, very simply, we're going to be talking about think right, live right. Believe right, live right. There is a, a, a fruit of right believing. There, and we're going to find out from the word of God that there is a fruit that comes as a result of right thinking. All right, let's go to living the transformed life. What does it mean? We're going to go to some slides now. So living the transformed life, I believe I just kind of broken it down into three steps. But the first step, I think, is what we need to be, we are being, uh, living the transformed life means being willing to change. You know, realizing I, I need to move on in my faith. I, I want to see the promises of God uh, more alive. Something that I see on the page written in the word of God, I want to begin to see that in my life and rise up in that. So we need to be willing to, to change, taking an honest look. It's kind of like removing the Christian mask and taking a real good look at what is my attitude when I'm not in church? What is my attitude? How do I handle challenges when they come my way? What are my areas of struggle? And what's hard for me to believe for, even though I see it in the word of God? Those are just really honest things. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things in our life. Like I said, may you never feel condemned from this pulpit. I will never put a condemnation on you. But if we're not honest, and we think everything's okay, then we don't give God a chance to do something. He wants to come in and heal. He wants to come in and change so that you can be lifted up, so that you can be encouraged and take that next stretching step in your walk with God. Number two, living the transformed life means being willing to be changed. So first having an honest look and then saying, yep, I'm ready, God, for you to do something in that area. Sometimes I feel like we've gotten to, we, we've tried and then we feel like we've failed. I still feel fearful. I don't know how to get rid of it. I burst out in fits of anger. I don't know how to take care of it. I yell at my kids every day. I don't know how to change. Well, first of all, we're honest. And then we say, God, I am willing to be changed in those areas. And then number three, living the transformed life means that we trust God to do the changing. That's good news. You do not, you are not the changer of your own heart. Do you know that? You have the ability to change your behavior and we can exercise self-discipline and that's actually part of our Christian life too. But until the heart changes, the inside changes, your outside will just be done 
maybe temporarily or in your own power, and we're just setting ourselves up for failure and, and, and falling from time to time. And again, there's no condemnation in that. That's a very natural progression and maybe digression. <laughs> but just know that God is the one who can do the changing. And I believe when God does the changing, there's a new realignment in our thinking and in our acting. So the, it's just a natural fruit to allow God, God, I see that in my heart, don't like it, I'm ready for a change, and I'm trusting you to do the changing. So that's the good news. We don't take on the responsibility of making it happen. Our position is simply to let him do it and to trust him. Even Paul says in Philippians 3.12, he says, not that I have already obtained it, this goal of being Christ-like, or have already been made perfect, but I actively press on so that I may take hold of that perfection for which Christ Jesus took hold of me and made me his own. I love the way Paul says that. He says, I haven't arrived. And if Paul hasn't arrived, I certainly have not arrived in my faith. There are more, there's more that God wants to do in me and through me. But I love the word actively press on. Actively press on. This is where we get out of our complacency and say, God, I'm actively pressing on. And I'm pressing in and leaning in to find out what's next. What you want to do in me. And gosh, if you've been kind of bored in your Christian life, doesn't that sound exciting? God wants to do something in you, through you, not necessarily for you, but maybe for somebody else. And that's one of the biggest, one, most wonderful things that we can do is to serve in that way. And that's very Christ-like. That's, that's total Jesus right there. And only he can do that in us. And he's taken hold of us so that we can take hold of his precious promises. I love that. So we're going to blast off the launch pad here of this, uh, this study about living the transformed life. And our, uh, our basic uh, foundation scriptures are found in Romans 12, 1 and 2. I tend to come back to these all the time because I do feel like they're very, very foundational. So let's just read through both of them and then we're going to dissect them uh, for today's message. But in Romans 12, 1, in the Amplified Classic, if you know me, you know that's one of my faves. Uh, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, cistern, and beg of you in view of all the mercies of God to make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted and consecrated and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. Let's go on to verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world or this age, fashioned after and adapted to its external superficial customs, but be transformed. There's our word. Everybody say transformed, which means changed by the entire renewal of your mind, by its new ideals and its new attitude, so that you may prove for yourselves what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in his sight for you, say for me. 
All right, so let's break down these two verses because they are the foundation of this transformation journey that we are about to take over the next couple of weeks. Let's go back to the first slide there, Romans 12, 1. Paul just simply says, I make an appeal to you. That, there is such a sense of urgency there. Uh, he's just saying, I really want this for you. I am appealing to you and beg of you. He goes on to say, this is really important. And it's kind of like when you tell your kids, you know, to do something or to stop doing something and they, they don't take you seriously. So you have to say, I really mean it. I really mean it this time. I mean it. So Paul is saying, I mean this. I really, really mean this. That uh, to make a decisive dedication of your bodies presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice. These images that Paul uses, uh, I think, are just fascinating. Holy, devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God. And it's just your reasonable, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. So let's just unpack that a little bit. In the Greek, Paul actually uses the Hebrew name for God, Elohim. Elohim. So when he says, I beg you by the mercies... He is saying of Elohim. And to the Jewish audience who is reading this uh, letter that he wrote to, to the Roman church, they understood some things about Elohim. To a God-fearing Jew, Elohim speaks of a fatherly source of covenant relationship with his people to guard and to guide them. And that he is eager to meet every single need that they have and that he's merciful, compassionate, loving, and kind. That's all wrapped in that word Elohim. And so this is the understanding that we're to get that this is our God. And this is the kind of relationship he is, he is offering to us. If we'll respond to that, we can have that covenant relation, enter into that relationship. And in light of these truths, now we can make that decisive decision to trust that God with my whole self. I can come to him and feel confident that I can, I can offer myself to him and trust him that he's not going to uh, abuse that, what I'm doing, what I'm surrendering. But, you know, it says that uh, we are to offer our bodies, presenting all our members and faculties. Uh, it's really talking about our physical body, as well as your emotional self and our faculties, just how we operate. Uh, everything that we are in the physical and everything who we are in, in, our, uh, in our thinking, in our emotions, and, and that part of us as well. And so, but that tends to be the part of us that can get in trouble. That's the part of us where our bodies uh, can get accustomed to and begin to desire things that don't line up with God's word. That's where there's lust and there's laziness, there's gluttony, there's sickness, there's aging issues, there's pain in our body. Those are the things that get affected. But Paul is saying, bring it. Bring it just the way you are. All of who you are to Elohim, the one who loves you and is compassionate and kind. But we are about to find out how to keep ourselves out of that trouble of those natural worldly desires. Because he is explaining that in light of Elohim's kindness, it is rational and reasonable and even logical that you would do this. 
You have nothing to fear. If you know your God, you will trust him to do this. And I love that he says that that kind of response is actually worship. We spend some amazing time in worship this morning. We will always put a high emphasis on worship. I think sometimes after worship, we could all go home blessed. I believe that. But because God moves in times of worship when we open our hearts, worship plows us up. It takes the things, you know, uh, that we've been focusing on and then refocuses on the person who's got all the answers, right? And it realigns us. Worship is so important. It's a way that uh, God can reach us and teach us. But even in the offering of ourselves, saying, God, I want to move on. I want to see... uh, uh, I want to see my faith and confidence grow in you. I want to begin to see precious promises. I want to begin to, to be that fragrance. And people come to me and say, how, how, are you, how are you keeping it all together? And if I were you, I'd be losing it about now. And you get to tell them, oh, that's the fruit of just simply walking with God. All my confidence is in him. He's my defender. He's my protector. And he can be yours too. Now we've got something to share about that's alive in us. And God calls that worship. That's worship without singing a word. But you can sing if you want to. All right. It's a good response. And God honors that. Another phrase in this uh, scripture that we just read is living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. That actually is an oxymoron. Okay, the definition of an oxymoron is not a dumb cow. Oxymoron, you'll get that in a minute. But it's actually two words that are side by side that actually have opposite meanings. So alone together, have we not heard that one? That's an oxymoron. Amazingly awful, bittersweet, clearly confused, that's a good one, or deafening silence. Do you see how they, they're really opposing meanings? But they still convey a truth. It's, it's a writer's tool. It's very clever. Paul is a very clever writer. He is a very excellent orator and, and author and writer, communicator. But here we are talking. He says, living sacrifice. Well, sacrifice to a God-fearing Jew, they knew that you had to kill the animal first and then put it on the altar. And then it was burned and it was offered. It was, there were different kinds of offerings, but it always involved killing an animal and then burning it on the altar, offering it, coming to God with this sacrifice. And it was a temporary fix until Jesus came because the cross replaced the altar. Because Jesus became the final sacrifice. There were no more sacrifices needed because Jesus didn't just cover sins when Jesus died on the cross. His sin washed it away. And he says, once and for all, your sins are gone. Your sins have been taken care of. So, but we still, they understood this um, verbiage that Paul was using here that he's saying, come as a living sacrifice. It also reminds me of the time that Abraham went to sacrifice his son. And he was going to kill his son first after he put him on the altar. And of course, God wasn't asking him to kill his son. But Isaac, in a sense, became a living sacrifice that day as well. But he was rescued from the 
complete process of that. But in the, that is the picture, though, of Abraham having complete and total trust and willing to obey exactly what God required of him. And it was very difficult. I mean, I cannot imagine entertaining that idea of sacrificing to God one of my children. Um, I might not have followed that one, but Abraham did, and God honored it. And of course, he wasn't intending for Abraham to really kill his own son. But Paul describes something here that doesn't seem to go together. But a living sacrifice is how to experience and enjoy this life, how to live in this present situation and the influences that are around us that ultimately overcome this world and its ways and ways of thinking. When we come before and we say, this is me. I'm just coming just as I am. We could sing that song if you want to. Uh, Just as I am. I'm just presenting all of who I am before you, and God is so honored by that because you're willing to come as a living sacrifice. And that also means that you're saying, do in me whatever needs to be done. I'm just offering myself as a sacrifice. But there will be a dying involved. I don't want to sugarcoat this, but it's called the dying of self. Dying of my own ways. Dying of my own ways of thinking. Dying of my will that doesn't line up with God's will. And sometimes we come and we present ourselves kicking and screaming. (laughs) Sometimes that's a difficult thing to do. But we can trust that God's altar is not a judgment, is not one of judgment or condemnation, but it is one of mercy because Uh, Paul goes on to say that when we do this, it is well-pleasing to God, and it is a form of worship. Let me read Romans 12, 1 to you in the Passion Translation, becoming another favorite um, translation of the word. Uh, Paul writes, Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God to be his sacred living sacrifices and live in holiness, experiencing all that delights his heart. For this becomes your genuine act of worship. So this is the way that we can worship God is to offer ourselves on that altar. All right, let's go back to Romans 12, 2 and do a little bit of digging here as well. Digging for gold, right? All right, Romans 12, 2 in the Amplified also says, do not be conformed to this age, this world, which means fashioned after and adapted to its external superficial customs, but be transformed, there's our word, transformed, changed by the entire renewal of your mind, by its new ideals and its new attitude, so that you may prove for yourselves what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in his sight for you. We're getting down to the nitty-gritty here, all right? But those two words again are very important. Well, there's actually three words I want to focus on. Conformed, transformed, and renewal. Conformed, transformed, and renewal. So those are 
are the next steps? This is how we get stretched into the next step of our growth, into our journey of transformation uh, and growing in our faith in God. Um, the first word conformed, it means to fashion alike. If you were to take clay and pack it around an object, it would conform and be, uh, take on the shape of the thing that uh, you, are, you are putting it onto. And he's talking about, don't be conformed to this world. We are not to think like the world. Now, I'll tell you what. I think that's one of the biggest challenges that we have is to not allow the world to get in us. But this is a process of getting the world out of us, right? We don't want to be conformed, adapt, compromise to the world's external superficial customs. There isn't one thing that you get from the world that will bring you life. Not one. And so when we're operating somewhere in our lives that it's just not working. God, how come I'm still dealing with this? I, I'm, I'm easily intimidated. I'm, I'm, I'm shy. I'm always feeling rejected. Why do I get my feelings hurt all the time? Well, there's something in the world that you're believing that has gotten inside of you that's not in line with the word of God. Good area to ask God for some change. You've conformed your thinking somewhere along the line and it continues to hurt you. But God wants you to put it on the altar, bring it to him, and let him do something that we're going to call transformed, transformation. We are changed. And this is, this is where these two things come together. The transformation comes by the entire renewal of your mind. Most of the time, our problem is between our ears. And what you're listening to and what you're focusing on, it will produce action in our lives, whether that be in line with God's word or not. It doesn't matter. Whatever you've been focused on and in our minds has everything to do with the way we respond. But we are not to fashion ourselves, adapt ourselves after the world system, its values, its morals, its ways of thinking, ways of living, because those will all be compromising God's ways and it will not be life to you. The world's way of operating is the opposite of God's ways. So we can't, you can't take us out of the world, but God wants to take the world out of us. I'll just repeat that. And again, in Romans 12, 2, the Passion Translation says it a little differently. It says, stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you. Ooh, opinions. We've got a lot of those flying around these days, right? All right. I shared with you a couple weeks ago that proverb that said that you're entitled to your own opinion, but don't be a fool because a fool will have his own opinion without understanding. So we're not going to be foolish with our opinions. You're entitled to them, though. But it says that don't be conformed to the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will for you as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. So there is a way to find out if you're getting the world out of you. John 15, 18 through 19 says, if the world hates you, that's a lovely thought, right? If the world hates you, know that it has hated me, Jesus is speaking, before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, 
but I chose you out of this world, therefore the world hates you. So if you come up against opposition because you're doing something, saying something, living a way that is God's way, and people come up against you, good job. Because Jesus said, you're going to find opposition in there from the world. That's one way to know that you're really on track. You know you're living God's way if the world doesn't agree. Another scripture is 1 John 4, 4 through 6 in the New Living Translation. It says, but you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. And in a more uh, familiar translation, it's just simply saying, greater is he that lives in me than he that lives in the world. We've got the greater one. We've got the greater one. We do not need to fear the spirit of the world. Those people belong to this world, so they speak from the world's viewpoint, and the world listens to them. But we belong to God, and those who know God listen to us. If they do not belong to God, they do not listen to us. So Paul's saying, it's pretty simple. If, if, they're wanting, if they want to hear from God, they will listen to you. If they don't, then they're of the world, and that is something that they cannot, they cannot receive, and they will reject. If they do not belong to God, they do not listen to us. That is how we know if someone has the spirit of truth or the spirit of deception. It's kind of like a litmus test, isn't it, Paul is giving us. So this is how we can tell the difference. Let's go on to that third word, or the second word, I guess, to transform it's actually, in the Greek, is a, a conjunction of two different Greek words, which means it's literally meaning to transfigure or to transform one's appearance. And it actually speaks of real transformation and change in the appearance of our mind and even in our outward appearance. It can be applied both ways. We can actually make an exchange, the old ways for the new ways, the world's ways, exchange it. For God's ways. My natural thoughts for God's thoughts. And no longer can I use the excuse, well, that's just the way I am. I always re react this way. I am always angry if this happens. I'm always depressed on a cloudy day. I'm all, that's just the way I am. Don't make the excuse. Bring that one to the altar too. Say, God, this is the way I have been, but make me who I really am. He's got, he's got a design inside of you that has nothing to do with all those negative, hurtful things. And we're asking him to grow that so that the other decreases and new fruit abounds. Transforming is something brand new, something different. It's newness. And that comes in, uh, and then we lay it on the altar and we do an exchange and receive what God has for us. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Now that kind of sounds like, oh, that's out of reach. Why'd you read that one? I've never attained that. No, God is saying, I'll give you my thoughts if you'll exchange my thoughts or your thoughts for my thoughts. I will teach you my ways if you'll exchange and being willing to let me change you. And it will become a natural thing inside of you because it grows an inside. It grows from the inside out. There is no real change until there's heart change. And God is all about the heart, always, always. 
The other word that we're talking about is renewing, renewing, a change of heart, a change in life. He says the entire renewal of your minds by its new ideals and its new attitudes. Get me a new attitude, God. You know, how often did I tell my kids, just change your attitude. You can go sit on your bed until you change your attitude. Until one day God said to me, when I was being grumpy, he says, you go sit on your bed and change your attitude. Well, that wasn't so easy, was it? (laughs) I expected it of my kids. God expected it of me. And so we can get a new attitude. And that comes by just putting it on the altar. (laughs) It might go kicking and screaming. I got this stinky attitude, God. But I'm going to exchange it for something better that you can do. Renew it inside of me. Because real change comes when we're willing to lay it down. That's the dying part. And sometimes we don't really want the dying part, but it's, it's a surrendering, isn't it? Creflo Dollar says, and he's a, he's a really awesome uh, preacher of the Word of God, he says that these verses, these two verses clearly define, and they're almost like the cornerstone, um, the very foundation of defining the difference between being saved and going to heaven, woohoo, that's good, or being saved and living a victorious Christian life. You can go to heaven and have lived a defeated life. But when we walk in the transforming power of the Holy Spirit and get that mind renewed, your body's starting to line up, my attitudes are lining up, I'm not hopeless anymore, I am, I've got the hope of my future because my God has promised me a future that was bright. I'm not going to be a a Debbie Downer anymore. I'm just going to speak the word of God and begin to see that fruit come uh, real inside my life. And that's real change, real transformation. Because you know what? Jesus did not die for your behavior modification. That's an outward thing that sometimes we try and change in order to make a change from the inside. But you know, the Bible says that God is all about the heart. And he says, out of your inward being, out of your heart flows the issues of life. And so he goes straight to the heart, straight to the root, straight where change really truly comes when he, we allow him to make that change. But real heart change involves dying to self. And if you're a stubborn girl... and you resist it, you're going to struggle a little bit more. But if you're just ready, I'm just ready to truly surrender. I need to change. I can't do it myself, but I know you can. I'm on the altar, Lord. I'm presenting myself to you. Galatians 2.20, very familiar scripture. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. Boy, if that's not talking about dying, (laughs) it's talking about that when Jesus hung on the cross, it was as if I was on the cross. And he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 5.24, another scripture about dying. It says, and those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's a renewal of the mind. It crucifies the flesh that has its own passions and desires that don't line up with the word of God. But isn't it good news that the cross replaced the altar? God did the work for us through Jesus so that we 
don't have to be paying for our own sins, uh, becoming our own sacrifice. That was just a temporary fix until Jesus came. John 12, 24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, here's that dying again, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So in the process of dying, there is always a resurrection. And there is always the fruit that begins to come to pass because that seed had a chance to germinate and grow. And you begin to see it. It's just a natural process of beginning to see that change happening. And this is how we get unstuck. This is how we begin to experience the Zoe life, which is described in John 10, 10. You know, Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the devil. We see a lot of that going on in our world today. But Jesus came to give us life, Zoe life, which means the same life that God enjoys. And that's what he wants for us. So I like to say it's not a try harder gospel. There's things that I can do to change my outward actions. But I really believe the best way is to call it a die harder gospel. I've got to die to myself and to, in order to be more alive to God. Proverbs 4.23, it says, so above all, guard the affections of your heart, for they affect all that you are. Pay attention to the welfare in your innermost being, for from there flows the wellspring of life. God works on the inner side, innermost being first, and then we begin to see the fruit of that. You might call this kind of transformation a recalibration. I like our words. We've kind of done some studies with our words. It's like re-energize, reinvigorate, uh, revelation. There's so many beautiful our words. Well, this one's recalibrate. To calibrate something means to adjust precisely for a particular function. Making adjustments in the navigation system. That is a very useful word for certain things. You say, what does that have to do with our journey? Well, God has a GPS for us. And we need to be calibrated to his destination. This past summer, uh, my husband and I, uh, we replaced all of our electronic devices on our sailboat because they weren't working. We have a 22-year-old sailboat, and it was just time. We needed to update. Well, in the process... We put in a new uh, GPS system and autopilot, but it had to be calibrated to the compass. And we were reading the instructions, and it was, they were so weird. We didn't understand how this would work. But we were to take the boat out to the lake and turn in a circle three times, going a certain uh, speed, and then go and turn three times in the opposite circle, and then press autopilot, and it should take off, and we should be calibrated. What we were doing, we were setting the compass. Well, it didn't work. Like 10 times, we're out there going, we're just kind of like waving to the boats going by, and they're wondering, what in the world is that sailboat doing going in tight circles? And if I look behind us, it looked like we were making crop circles in the lake and going down the lake and doing it again and doing it again. It was the craziest thing. Well, we missed one small little step, which 
doesn't surprise me because it was all trial and error, believe me. And we finally got calibrated. And so when we went on vacation, we could set the destination and it was in line with the compass and we could let go of the wheel, just like your um, cruise control, okay? This is autopilot on the boat. And we didn't have to be on the wheel for 14 hours a day because that's actually quite exhausting. But we could trust that the boat was set in the right direction and it would take us to our destination because it was in line with, calibrated with the compass. If it's not calibrated to the compass, you can miss your destination by miles. And the boat will just keep going because it's not calibrated properly. And so we found out we did it right and we got to our destinations. But this is what I really believe God is doing for us. He is calibrating us. He's recalibrating us. We're on a journey. We don't want to miss our destination. We don't want to miss what he has for us. And so part of that calibration, I mean, you might feel like you're going in circles three times this way and three times this way. I don't know. But I'm willing to do whatever it takes to be recalibrated so that I can stay on the path that, and reach the destination that God has for us because it's always good. It's always good. Amen? Let's just bow our heads for a moment. If we could have some music, we're just going to spend a few of these last minutes together and just come before God. And you know what? Let's just walk those three steps that we talked about at the beginning. You know, God, it's... It's a good day when we can come before you and just trust that you have nothing but good for us. And so, Father, we don't want to be complacent. We don't want to think we're just all that in a bag of chips and we don't need to be changed, that we don't need to grow. We're ready for growth. We're ready to go on. Stretch us to that next step. But right now, Lord, will you help me to take an honest look some areas that I've struggled in. Things that have been hard for me to believe for. Maybe some attitudes that have just, I'm just getting tired of dealing with the same things over and over. If you just reveal that to us, we're ready to be honest, to take an honest look. Remember, there's no condemnation in this. This is always to move beyond something, move from defeat to victory. So we have a good expectation for good. And Lord, I just humble myself before you. Yeah, I see that in me. I don't like that either, and I don't want it to stay. And so I'm just agreeing with you. That needs to change. And I'm ready to make an exchange. I'd like to take that thing, whatever it is, and give it to you. I'm putting it on the altar, Lord. And I'm making a decision to release faith and to trust you that you can truly change that in me. Transform me. I want to stay connected to you as my source.
for that change, just as the branch stays connected to the vine. And that connected branch always bears fruit as long as it stays connected to its life source. And that's where I want to be, Lord, connected to you. So I die to myself. I'm not going to make excuses anymore. I'm not going to focus on me. And I'm not going to beat myself up. But I do come before you, Lord. And I have a positive expectation of good things to come. Because you are a good, good God. And your plans for me are always good. So I'm trusting, I'm resting, and believing that you're doing a work in me. And let's agree on this one thing, that God always finishes what he starts. That he will continue to work in us until it is complete. And we thank you for that in the mighty name of Jesus.